0: Hey, it's Matt Cross from UMass Basketball, and I've got a slam dunk insurance recommendation for you. I'm a Massachusetts native myself, and I know the importance of hometown loyalty and toughness. When I need insurance as tough as me, I choose Amherst Insurance. They've had UMass Basketball's back for decades, and they'll have yours too. Trust me. Amherst Insurance isn't just an insurance agency. They're a part of our community, deeply rooted in Massachusetts values. They understand the hustle, the spirit, and the pride that defines us here. So if you're looking for a hometown insurance agent who's got the same drive and determination as me, it's Amherst Insurance all the way. And remember, when you make that call or visit thenathanagencies.com, tell them Matt Cross sent you.
1: UMass fans, Josh Coney, the latest addition to the UMass basketball family. The energy here is unreal, and let's not forget UMass football season is revving up and I'm all in. Now listen up, moving can be a hassle, but five college movers made my transition seamless. Mention my name, Josh, and you'll not only score exclusive pricing, but tickets to a UMass basketball game of your choosing, courtesy of five college movers. So, UMass fans, let's rally for football, get ready for basketball, and when it's time to move stress-free, team up with five college movers. Go UMass!
2: Welcome back to Commonwealth Conversations' Everyday Minuteman Stories. As always, brought to you by the Mass Collective. Some big news today that we're not going to touch on today for, for other reasons. But rest assured, people are aware of the news that came out today. Uh, and there will be conversations about that at a later date. But for now, I am Nathan Strauss. And our guest today is Bob Buehler, who was a longtime voice of the Minuteman and is currently uh, halfway through his second decade as the voice <laughs> of Boise State, uh, the voice of the men's basketball and football teams uh, out uh, in the mountain West or in, in the mountainous West. Uh, so thank you so much for, for joining us. Uh, how's it going? I'm doing
3: great. I thought it was interesting that you guys asked me a couple of days ago to do this. And then the day that, that I'm on, it's announced that UMass is changing leagues. So I thought that was kind of weird today.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I can't promise there's any correlation there and just <laughs> want to note for official purposes, uh, for official uh, purposes, it, it has not been confirmed. So, uh, you know, I'm not speaking as an employee or anything, but there was obviously, you know, the, okay. the Internet was ablaze today in, in those rumors. But um, obviously, you know, you're on the road right now in, in Colorado Springs uh, in year 15 with, with Boise you're State. 16. You're 16. You're 16. They need to update your they need to update your page, your staff yeah. page on the website. But 16 years uh, yeah. as the voice of uh, of Boise State. Take me back to your UMass days when you were applying for the for the UMass job. uh, What was that process like and, and how did you wind up as the voice of the Minutemen?
3: Well, it was it was kind of a whirlwind. Mark Vandermeer was the voice before me, and he left to take a job with the Miami Hurricanes in the middle of August. So it was like right up against the against the start of the season. And I actually did the first game for Bucknell that season. UMass opened with a bye, so I did the the UMass excuse me the Bucknell first game, and then I did UMass's first game, which happened to be against Ryan Day, and New Hampshire it was was the opener that year in in the '99 season for the Minutemen. So I just remember things moving very very quickly, and I'd been at Bucknell for 13 years, and I had people tell me that you'll know when they're going to offer you the job, and I'm like, come on, really? And it started where you know we were up there before lunch, and the, the folks, uh, you know, Bill Strickland, Bob Markham from UMass, were asking me questions about myself, and you know, you, you know what maybe I could bring to UMass. And then I remember some of the questions after lunch turning to, "Can you get out of your deal with Boy- with Bucknell? Can you can you get here in time for our first game?" And I thought, wow, that friend of mine that told me that you can tell when you're going to get offered a job. They were spot on and it was a a, a great decision for me. Uh, nine years there, thoroughly enjoyed all nine years, enjoyed, you know, the, the coaches, the players, the teams. And I, uh, you know, I was just kind of as getting ready for this interview, just brushing up on some of the names. There's only two coaches that are still there when I left 16 years ago. And one of them had to come back, uh, Don Brown at football and Greg Canella is the only long standard that's been there the whole time for lacrosse. So, uh, um, Great time for me. I, I've worked at three wonderful universities and uh, have lo- have enjoyed every second at all three places.
2: Now, obviously, the broadcasting world has pivoted to streaming, and you know nowadays, there's the expectation that just about every game gets streamed in some way, shape, or form. But my understanding, and keep in mind, I was born in 1999, my understanding is that for many of the teams that you were calling games for at that time the the audio the radio broadcast that you were doing was the only form of media that was consumable so how many different sports were you calling uh for umass when you were there wow i did a ton of them i did some lacrosse i did some softball did some
3: baseball did some soccer i remember freezing at an ncaa championship uh soccer game i think it was either a first or second round while the uh NCA decided whether central Connecticut was going to be allowed to go back and change their cleats back to, you know, they wanted to send some cleats up from wherever, you know, the town is that central Connecticut is in and they ended up playing, starting, I don't know whether they changed them but halftime, um, swimming and diving. I did, uh, obviously, you know, uh, football, men's basketball, did some women's basketball. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other sports. I don't think we ever did a tennis match. um, I probably have missed some sports, uh, both lacrosse as I've done. So, you know, there were a lot of sports, a lot more sports at, at UMass than at Boise State. Boise State does not have nearly as many sports that they offer as does uh, as does Boise, as does UMass. And out here, I've done a few other sports, but not nearly as many as, as I did when I was at UMass.
2: Did you know that you wanted to become a broadcaster when you were in school? or How did you pick this uh, career path? Well, I have known since junior high,
3: I knew I was not a good athlete. I was not going to make, uh, probably even make teams at my high school and our high school had a television station and we ended up broadcasting games while I was in high school that were shown on tape delay on the local cable, uh, system in town out in California. And, uh, something I fell in love with probably at like 14 or 15 years old. And uh, I'm now 61 and, uh, I've,
2: I've had a great career, sort thoroughly enjoyed everything that I've done. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's such an interesting career path, uh, as someone who's trying to figure it out right now, it, it's cool to, to hear when people discover they have that passion. Mm-hmm. Like, I think my parents would say for me, it was when I was using a pitch back in our backyard in the league, the league days and having more fun talking about it than mm-hmm. I was actually throwing the pitch. Uh, and my brother does the same with like, you know, Stratomatic and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, but I-, I love hearing those kind of stories. When you were in Amherst, uh, obviously, the, the, the UMass men's basketball team of the early 2000s is is still thought of pretty highly um, by by fans. Do you have uh, a game or a moment or a player who you really remember fondly uh, from that era? Well, I, I have two games that I
3: think are my favorite two games. And one of them was in the Steve Lapis era and the other one was in the Travis Ford era that I would say. And the, the Lapis era uh, was in the oh four, oh five season. Uh Boise State, excuse me, Boise State, UMass beats UConn sixty one fifty nine. 59 Freeman hits the the winning shot and then he's kind of high fiving in the student section. Um and and the UConn team comes back up the floor, and they've got five against four. Fortunately, they don't have much time left. They missed the shot, and there's nobody there to you know tip in the rebound because the clock expired. There was a floor rush that night in Amherst, and then we got knocked off the air, and Adam Frenier, who's still with the broadcast, was our studio producer, and he realized that the crowd was rushing the floor, had knocked the power out. So you hear on my broadcast, the shot is short. The game is and over was the word I wanted to use, and UMass wins. Well, we got knocked off, so Adam had to finish out the call from the studio, and he was very quick on it, but that would be the the home game that I remember most on the basketball side. And then on the on the the Travis Ford one, we went to Syracuse looking to get to the Garden, my final season of 08, and we're down, I think it was 22 at halftime, and ended up coming back to win that game in, in 08 to get to Madison Square Garden. Played five NIT games, all of them very close. I think we were ahead in just the last one with Ohio State that we lost, and I think the other four, I think we were down at half in all the other games, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great story and to speaks to Adam's longevity as well because now Adam obviously travels with Jay and they're uh, they're down right now um in in Washington DC preparing for a game. Um so it is it is funny to see uh you know how 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 things change. When it comes to um yeah your move to Boise state, what went into that uh that jump or that that decision and how how do you enjoy, I guess, the I don't want to say the nicheness, but when I think of Boise State, I think of obviously the blue turf and those mm-hmm. great football teams of the early 2010s. How what was it like adjusting for you um, to a place that I'm imagining is fairly different to Amherst? Well, it's different. Um, it, it's a
3: it's a more cosmo. I mean, it's a bigger town. There's probably a half a million people or so right in the in the greater Boise area. It's bigger than people think, um, but it's you're broadcasting for the top dog. I mean, there's no pro teams in Boise Boise state Broncos are number one and everything else kind of, you know, falls down the, down the wayside, something that, you know, when you're in a state like Massachusetts, you know, there's a lot of pro teams that, you know, that scarf up all the attention. And then, you know, the colleges really kind of take a back seat. So I, I was looking for, you know, something with, with kind of that feel, um, I I thought that, you know, getting to the FBS football was something that I'd wanted to do. And they were, you know, just starting to win some games. They had won the the Fiesta Bowl, the first of three Fiesta Bowls. I've had the uh opportunity to call Fiesta Bowl win number two and Fiesta Bowl win number three, uh, you know, in, in my career since I've been here. But uh I mean I couldn't have come at a better time at Boise State. I, I felt like it was a lot like if you had gotten in on the early time of John Calipari at UMass because the trend was just going up. My first game calling a football game at Boise State was quarterback Kellen Moore's first game. And the four seasons, he was the quarterback for Boise State. They were 50-3. and It's the best four year run of any quarterback ever at uh, in college football. So I-, I think I was fortunate, picked the right time to to make the move. And I mean, they have twenty six straight winning seasons. They have more winning seasons consecutively than anybody else in FBS college football um it's they they you know a bad year eight and five is a bad year we've had a couple of those since i've been here uh many many places would trade for eight and five in a heartbeat and be willing to throw a parade down main street uh boise state eight and five is kind of you know uh but uh i would say that you know it's it's been a it's been a great great move for me all three places that i've been at i i think have been have been great i've been thrilled to be at at bucknell for 13 years and nine years at umass and now 16 here and uh, basketball has gotten it going uh coach leon rice has been here the last 14 seasons he came in my third year here and uh, if we win tomorrow night at at air force it'll be 11 times in 14 years we've won 20 uh we've been to the ncaa tournament four times i think we're in pretty good position to make it five this year so um the athletics at, at boise state they've done extremely well in a lot of phases
2: Maybe you are the good luck charm. I mean, we were joking earlier, Um, but I have a, this is a, a, maybe this is a a dumb, extraneous question, but calling a football game on the blue turf, are there (laughs) broadcasting technical challenges that come with that environment? Absolutely not. I mean, if you've,
3: if you ever come out, Nathan, you're more than welcome to come out. Um, It just looks a little different. And when you're there, as long as I have, it just looks natural. Um, I don't think the blue translates as well to TV. Uh, sometimes the blue that we wear in our uniforms is pretty close to the blue on the turf. But when you're there, and then even more so when you're on the field, the players stand on the field, you're looking against them against the background of the stadium. Uh, I mean, it's. It, it, I think it was a great marketing decision. I mean, if you think about it, if you watch a highlight on Saturday night, and you see a game pop up on on sports center or game day and you see the blue field you know who exactly one of the teams is playing you might not know who we're playing but you certainly know that Boise State is playing playing football on the field and and it, it just it, it we have people come and you know want to see it want to take pictures i mean i've had people visit me from all over that have come and the, you know it's like you know can we get a picture on the blue field can we go out on the blue field and and I firmly believe that it's the most recognizable man-made feature, certainly in the state of Idaho. I think if you're looking at and you're picking something, you know, maybe the arch in St. Louis, the Golden Gate Bridge, maybe in
2: California, the blue turf would be for Idaho. Yeah, I love the idea of looking at the Dakotas and you're thinking, OK, so you've got Mount Rushmore. If you're going mm-hmm. south, you're thinking, yeah, the arches, you're, you've got, I don't know, maybe the Rockies. And then it's the blue turf. I, I don't think you're wrong, though because it really is it really is memorable. I mean, mm-hmm. I, some would argue maybe the uh the, what is it the Kibble Dome uh would be uh you the know Kibble Dome in Idaho. Dome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: By the way, guys, if if the mac is is true and it happens, Mac team comes to Boise for a bowl game every year.
2: It the, the Idaho famous Potato Bowl, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Are the potatoes how big is a thing is the potatoes now I'm trying I'm getting a whole Idaho lesson here but yeah. our potatoes they're are big. really the thing
3: they're big and they're good they're
2: not really grown around Boise they are more in the eastern
3: part of the state but uh they're they are big they are good and uh you know we've had the Idaho Potato Commission chairman they they sponsor one of the games every year in Boise and the guy would usually come on as a halftime guest and we've had many a discussion as far as what's the best things to put on potatoes. Everybody <laughs> has their favorite stuff. So, what's yours? I like sour
2: cream, I like chives, I like bacon, I like cheese. Pretty very very similar to me. I would I would hold the the sour cream, but I would go I'd go butter and then okay. bacon, chives and cheese. But uh I, I digress. I mean, this is what happens when yeah. you uh when you, when you're someone who talks for a living like you and you come on a podcast it um it, it becomes you know nice and easy some yeah. people some of the some of the student athletes are are still learning the media side of things yeah. so it's it's just a little bit different well uh, and you, and you never way. know what you're going to get you you get potato talk on here you know who would have thought that exactly but that's that's the fun of it um and, and that's 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 the uh that's the beauty of uh of, of broadcasting too but you know your time at Bucknell your time at UMass and now out with Boise State you kind of cover the entire country at that point except for maybe parts of the maybe parts of the south. Is there well, I went
3: to college in Georgia and did student oh. radio there, so yeah. <laughs> so
2: you really have it all covered. Is there a favorite building or arena or place for you to call games?
3: Well, I love calling games at home at Boise State. Our, our booth is unbelievable. They designed it. Whoever designed it had to talk about what a radio announcer would want. My only complaint is that we're on the sixth level of the of the of the press box. A little bit, maybe a little bit too high. But you're right there on about the 45-yard line. Beautiful view of the foothills. Um not correct amount of space, the energy. You know when when you know when the when the Broncos score a touchdown, there is a vibe in that stadium that you know it it really helps enhance your call. Uh, I think probably the most special place I've done a game basketball wise is uh, the last game I did at UMass. Now I've done a couple other games there too, but uh, the NIT final at Madison Square Garden. There's something just I don't know something special about doing a game at the Garden. I think the NIT is not the same anymore by not having the finals at the garden. Um, I think, I think that to me, if you're asking me to pick a spot that was very exciting to do a game, I'd say doing a couple of games at the garden would be what I would
2: say. When you were doing football at UMass, obviously that was before the jump up to, um, you know, FBS football, but, what was it like, I guess, traveling or doing games with that team? And, and maybe if you have any Don Brown memories from uh, Don Brown round one. Um... Don Brown is one of my favorite coaches that I've ever dealt with.
3: He is so excitable, so genuine. I mean, if you ask him a question, he's just going to give you him whatever he thinks. You know, if something went well, if something didn't. I just thought Don Brown, he'd be a guy that I'd run through a wall for, try to make a tackle. I know I probably wouldn't be able to, but I know he would coach me up and fire me up enough that I'd do the best I could out there. Uh, He and Mark Whipple were the two football coaches. uh, Very different in the sense that, you know, Whipple was offense. And I remember he was there when I first got there and I was asking him a defensive question and he said, well, if you really want to know something about the defense, ask Don. And then, of course, Don comes in as the head coach, you know, both extremely successful but he's a defensive guy, and you know he 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 spent his time over there on, on that side of the ball. Uh, also, love talking baseball with Don Brown. I'm a baseball guy. Don is too. Uh, miss him. I, I, I'm so glad he's back at UMass. Uh, one of my favorites all time.
2: Was Jack Lehman doing color with you? Uh, mm-hmm. did, uh, obviously, uh, Jack Lehman, someone who is uh, just so influential in the in the in the, the the scope of UMass history. What was he like as a color guy? <laughs> Jack was a guy that had stories about everything you UMass. And a lot of times
3: when you were doing a game with Jack, you'd want to remember a story that he told at breakfast, like maybe two, three weeks ago, because you could go fishing for the story and Jack would come up with it. Uh, my favorite, I can still remember his gravelly voice. And, and if things were kind of getting a little tight in the game, very few people called me Robert, but he was one of them sometimes. And in the middle of the broadcast, he's going, it's starting to get sticky robert uh but uh no uh, jack was jack was a prince of a guy uh knew so much basketball i learned a lot about the game from him he he was such a good guy for the kids to see because i think as a former coach he always seemed to you know say the right things to the kids to make them feel better uh i'm a terrible golfer i don't play much but i had a chance to play in a couple of scrambles with jack and I would always have for me a really good round when I was playing with Jack because you could just tell that he was a coach because he relaxed you and he brought out the best in you or me in a, in a, in a scramble, which, you know, was really nothing was on the line, but I always ended up with some of my best shots playing with him. Um, he was a lot of fun to do the the broadcast with. And uh, as they say, bled maroon for sure. And, and a lot of times you just, you know, The hardest thing about doing a game with Jack is, you know, sometimes you could get away from the game and get into some stories with Jack and you kind of had to steer it back. But uh, no, a lot of fun times on the
2: air doing games with Jack. Now, I know last year, Adam Frenier filled in, did a couple games when Boise State was playing Mm -hmm. down in Myrtle Beach, I think, at the same Invitational where uh, the – I forget what it's called. was the the, the Myrtle Beach Invitational, the Myrtle Beach Classic. Um, But have there been any other instances in the last – 16 years for you where you have crossed paths with people who you met in your time, either players, coaches, media members at UMass. Well, we played Travis Ford
3: a couple of times at St. Louis once at Boise and once at, uh, uh, at St. Louis, uh, it was good to see him. Um, I'm trying to think we really haven't played too many of the teams, uh, there that, uh, you know, the, you know, it's a totally different part of the country, I'm trying to think. Oh, Steve Lapis. Steve, we see Steve Lapis a lot of times. He does the games for CBS Sports Network, and uh, we've had him, you know, a couple of times. You know, in the regular season, he's done the Mountain West tournament for the last I don't know five or six years. So, cross paths with him. So that that's another another head coach. As um, I say, when we played St. Louis, it was you know their broadcasters are the same people that are still doing St. Louis games. I haven't played. Too many teams in the Atlantic 10, played St. Bonaventure in the tournament in the Cayman Islands, one I was able to go to. It, it fell midweek, not weekend, towards the end of football season. Got to catch up with Tim Kenney, who was an associate athletic director, who at the time was St. Bonaventure's athletic director. Uh, I'm sure there's others that I probably have have forgotten, but uh, um, it's always nice when you catch up with somebody, and it was it's nice to catch up with Coach Lapis and Coach Ford
2: uh, when we had a chance to see them. Great year, by the way, for Mountain West basketball. Uh-huh. Maybe the most fun conference in all of uh in all of the country right now. I love it because the games are obviously on late, and most <laughs> of them and most of them are on CBS Sports or the the, the online streaming platform. Yeah, Fo- Fox Sports One has a lot of games too. Yeah, so if you want to see yeah, <laughs> Tim Neverett randomly shows up yeah. once in a
3: while on your screen just calling games. Yeah, if you want to see a good game that's late, uh, next Tuesday night, not. I'm trying to think. Yeah, next next Tuesday, week from tomorrow. We've got our final home game, senior night game. It's going to be a 9 o'clock Mountain Time, which makes it an 11 o'clock uh, Eastern Time game against Nevada. Uh, Steve Alford is their coach, so people probably remember him playing for Indiana, coaching at New Mexico, coaching at UCLA. And uh, we've got seven teams right now that arguably have a chance to still win the league and certainly can win the tournament. There's only 11 teams in the conference, so um, the league did a tremendous job outside of you know the the in the non-conference. And as long as you seem to lose when you do lose to somebody that's in that seven, you don't move much. We got a lot of teams between like 18. Like San Diego State, the net rankings is 18. And then we're sitting at 32. I think Nevada's right right behind us at like 35. So I think there's six or seven teams in like the top 40 in the the computer rankings. And uh, I said at the beginning of the year that I thought the regular season champ was going to have five losses this year, which, you know, last year San Diego State Lost or won the conference by losing just three, and that's people say, "Well, that's a lot of losses." Well, I'm kind of hoping that I'm wrong because Boise State, in a tie for first with Utah State, is sitting with four. So we've got four games to go. If Boise State could win those last four, I'd be glad to be wrong. But, you know, there's just so many. I mean, we, we close with with Air Force, who's one of the bottom teams. That's tomorrow night. But then the last three are against New Mexico and Nevada at home. And then we go to San Diego State for the last game. So all of those teams, really, really good. Uh, I think the the veteranness of the teams is why they are so good. All of the teams seem to have a key transfer. COVID, where somebody gets to play an extra year. Uh, we're one of the few teams that doesn't have like a fifth or sixth year point guard. Um, you know, we've got some experienced, you know, inside guys, uh, good wings. Uh, I think that, you know, I think the league's probably going to get five teams. I don't know if they'll be able to get six in, but I think it's going to be a banner year for a number of teams in the conference getting in. And I think the tournament at, uh, The Mountain West, you know, if you you did not, if you pulled out the four bottom teams and put the seven teams that are really, really good and said, you know what, we're going to have a draw. Seven guys, you reach in, you know, and if we're all putting in 10 bucks and whoever's team that you draw out, I, I think everybody could win. You know, I, I think that it's just going to be who ends up playing really, really well on those. You know, in the three games, or you know, if you got to go into the first round and play four games, I mean, there's a couple of the. You know, the, the top five teams get by, so there's going to be a tough couple of the seven that are going to have to play an extra game.
2: And none of these teams lose at home. That's the big thing that all these <laughs> all these broadcasts inform me. I know San Diego's the has most lost part. At home. Nevada, I think, hadn't lost a home conference game. We beat like, them. Yeah. Yeah. And then we lost to Utah
3: State at home. So, I mean, it it, it does happen, but it's not – people – the venues in basketball in this conference are unbelievable. San Diego State, um, New Mexico, those two are – you know, they sell out regularly, and it is a tough place to play. Utah State, you would – I don't think there's a crowd that sits closer to the floor than they do at Utah State. That is a very, very tough place to play. We get sellouts regularly – um, trying to think who else. Nevada has really good crowds. So most of the, Colorado State does as well. Uh, you know, the couple of the teams at the bottom of the standings, Fresno, Air Force, and San Jose, don't draw overly well. But the, pe- the people with good teams pack them in. And you're right. It's loud. There's a lot of energy. And uh, like t- tomorrow and when you go to Wyoming, where we just were, New Mexico, they remind you that you're playing at altitude, and it's going to be tough to catch your breath. Uh, and they put the whatever the number is like it's painted everywhere seven two two zero up at wyoming the corded air Force is five thousand and some feet new mexico is over five thousand feet i will say this as somebody that's probably not you know in as nearly as good a shape as players you do feel the altitude you do feel it
2: it's certainly, you don't have to worry about that when you're in Amherst. That's for sure. You can even be on the top of <laughs> Mount Sugarloaf, and you know we have a, a transfer from from Kansas that's with
3: us this year. We were talking with him, you know, west east of the Rockies. Who would be the highest elevation court? And you know, you know the 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 Appalachians are, you know minis compared to the Rockies and things out here so I don't know who it would be somebody suggested maybe West Virginia but but I don't I don't really know whether they would or wouldn't but um, it's just it's a different ball game when you play at elevation and then when you think of our conference you have San Diego that's at sea level and then the others in California San Jose and Fresno they aren't much higher and then you go all the way up to Wyoming it's seventy two twenty. by the way uh, getting to Laramie is uh, not the easiest thing to do. And we always seem to play him in football in November. One time we played him in September and it was gorgeous. But it seems
2: like every time we go there, November and it's cold and snowy. Is there a, a UMass road trip that like between the teams that, that UMass would play regularly that you miss? Ooh, that's a good
3: question. I always like going to Philly, the town itself. Uh, I, I always like, you know, I I always thought that, you know, UMass and temple always had some great games. I kind of say, if you told me to pick one of the Philly schools and not just leave it at Philly, I would say, you know, going for temple, uh, for football, um, probably the best atmosphere for football, non UMass was Delaware. Uh, you know when they were in the league, and and Delaware was doing very good. They had a lot of good crowds, and there was a lot of energy going to to Delaware for football. UMass had some nice crowds. I mean, the the year that uh, you know we we went to the championship game, you know, we had a couple of playoff games. I mean, uh, it was in '06, uh, and we had a couple of playoff games that were full. So um, I remember the one at home where we beat uh, held off New Hampshire at the end to get to the semifinals, and we had to go to Montana. For the uh, well, that was uh, the New Hampshire game was in the quarters and we had to go to New, new uh, go to Montana for the for the semifinal. That was a great experience too. Montana was uh, you know a, a team that draws extremely well. They still do, and uh, uh, yeah, there were some good spots. There were some good spots in all of them, I think. We Xavier, the, I thought, uh, was a nice place to go for basketball. It Was a nice arena, and I enjoyed
2: going to Cincinnati. We end every podcast with the same two questions. I have one more before that. Okay. You mentioned obviously your your call of the the Yukon game that got cut off at the very end. <laughs> Do you have a favorite call of yours from your UMass days and a favorite call of yours in the sort of the pantheon of your of of your career? Well, I think trying to remember,
3: there had to be something. I think Gary Forbes may have hit a 3 at uh uh At Syracuse to come in the game, we came back from 22 down at the half. We had a ton of threes in the second half. But I I just say the last part of that game, Syracuse had put up on the scoreboard this is how you can get tickets to the garden. And, you know, they had like, you could go to the phone number, the website, the ticket office, and they'll be on sale, you know, starting nine o'clock, you know, in the morning the next day. And of course, You could go to the ticket window, but because they weren't going to the Garden, there were no tickets to be sold. Um, My best call, I think, if you're going to ask here, would have been uh, Labor Day night in 2010. Uh, Boise State and Virginia Tech are both in the top 10, and they're playing each other at the Washington, at that time, Redskins uh, was the name of the team, Stadium at FedEx Field. And the game went back and forth. And Kellen Moore hits Austin Pettis in the back of the end zone for the touchdown that puts us ahead with, you know, just a shade over a minute to go. And I had a couple people tell me that, wow, I just love the way you paused before saying touchdown. You had Pettis catching the ball and you waited, and I said, I laughed, I said, the pause was there, because we were at the far end of the field in the corner of the end zone, I could tell he caught it, but I had no clue where his feet were, you know, was he inbounds, was he out of bounds, and I waited for the officials to put their hands up before saying touchdown, but if you're asking for one call, you know, you have a lot of material when you got two teams going back and forth on Labor Day night in, in a game where I think there was like 85 or 90,000 people in the stadium, so
2: that probably, if you're asking for one call, would be the one. I love that. I love um. I love how how people select that from their own from their own work too. And that's a, a deep know, cut. Austin Pettis is such a deep cut because he was in the league for like yeah. no more than five years. Yeah, he was really good. We had we had some receivers. You know, I mean, Kellen
3: Moore was really good as a quarterback. And somebody says, "Well, what made him so good?" I could never remember him throwing a pass. Where somebody had to like go in the other direction to get it. They always seem to get it heading in the direction you wanted them to go. But he had some really good receivers. Um, you know, the team they've had some talent over the years, and and I think that the folks here are hoping that uh, you know, they can put enough together to get the first spot in the you know group of five for the college football playoff next season now that it's expanded. They've gone, you know, three times to the to the fiesta bowl. Uh, And, you know, would love to love to be the first representative to go
2: to the college football playoff. I would love that, too. I think it would be I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, The two questions that we ask everyone are first, obviously, NIL has changed and been invented and continues to change, Mm -hmm. I guess, by the week, by the by the court hearing uh, right now. But back when you were at UMass or back when you were at Georgia as a college student, if you could have had any company or place sponsor you, what would your <laughs> what would your dream NIL deal be? Ooh, that's a good question.
3: I'm gonna say something local to Amherst. How about a how about a an NIL deal with the hangar? I love their wings. I love their honey mustard sauce. I I, I think maybe the hangar would be something as long as it included you know some
2: food to eat. That's uh, You're not alone. A lot of the former players that we talked to say the hanger as well. I can only imagine um, the amount of wings they would be putting away uh, in that case. And the other question that I think I- I'm going to appreciate your perspective on is we ask everyone if you could pick one player in UMass basketball history to take a potential game winning shot, which Ooh. player would you pick in that situation?
3: For me, on this, uh, on the people who played in the nine years that I was there, I can't, I can't say Dr. J never you having could, seen you him. You could
2: absolutely, you can, you can take this question
3: in whatever direction you want. I think you can say Dr. J. I, I mean, I, I think, I think with what he's done, I, I, I don't think you'd have any argument. I mean, I know the Calipari years had some great people. I came two years after the Calipari years, but I think if, if, if we're putting an all-time team out on the floor at UMass. Dr. J is going to be the guy that's going to be front and center and you'd want him to take the shot. I think if you're looking in, in my time, I think I would maybe have two. I would have from my early years here, I think I'd have Monty Mack taking the shot. And then if it's from my later years, I'd have Gary Forbes taking the shot. So now, unless I could get Stefan Lasmi, you know, like right over the basket. But if you're talking like <laughs> a, a a um you know, a shot from outside, a three point, a three-point shot, I would take those two for a game winner
2: those would be the guys i would take yeah i mean a stefan lasby dunk or a marcus Canby dunk would be yeah. you know different i think in the, in, for the scope of the question but yeah. i i like i like those answers and i'm sure um our listeners will as well if people want to catch your games are you guys on are you guys varsity learfield yes we are yes we are
3: varsity app we're on that you can also get it online Um, like I said, if you want to, you know, listen to a couple of the games we've got left, match it up with the, with the, with the video, uh, the key is, uh, you got to get the audio behind it, which if you're listening online, you probably will have it behind it and just hit pause as the jump ball goes. And it'll probably be pretty close the rest of the way. Um, New Mexico, we got at home Saturday, uh, coming up, uh, this Saturday, and that'll be a eight o'clock start Eastern time. And then as I said, the the game with uh Nevada is Tuesday the fifth, and that is a eleven PM Eastern start. So if you got, you know, if you're not doing anything and want to have something that's gonna, you know, tide you over until bedtime, that's a good game. And then a week from Friday, our last game is at San Diego State. I think it's a seven Pacific, but it could
2: be an eight Pacific. I'm not sure. Count me in for the 11 o'clock. T- I'm a <laughs> night owl because, again, I'm I'm still yeah. in that stage of life where, like, I yeah. can sleep from 2 to yeah. 8.30 in the morning or 9. So yeah. count me in. I will be listening. And it'll one, one. one of the
3: things I do remember at UMass, like all the college teams for basketball especially, game times vary. And sometimes on Saturdays we had noon starts. And on the noon starts, the sides were pretty full because that was where the season ticket holders sat. We had a couple of nines. I think we even had one 9.30 in the time I was there. The students sat on the ends bones, both sides. On the 9 or 9.30 games, that, those sections were full, and the ones on the side were a little bit less. So uh, it, time starting time matters. We've had a couple of football games in order to get on big CBS out of Boise State to start at 10 in the morning. And it was that's a bit early, especially when you got kind of a lengthy pregame show. Although I will say when the game's over, you can go out and have a great dinner and you got most of the rest of the day to go. But uh, it's an odd thing to start a football game
2: at 10 in the morning. I struggle with our noon starts because we're getting there five hours early. Mm -hmm. And so that means you're leaving home, but you're waking up at six. I can't imagine what a 10 a.m. start would feel like for the players, too. Like that's got to be abysmal for the the sleep cycle. But. Anything yeah. for the yeah. networks, because that's how the, it goes. The, our team on football practices in the morning. So I don't
3: know if that's the same or different that UMass, but they probably start their practices at like seven thirty or eight in the morning. So it was probably a harder deal for me than it was for the team.
2: Well, hopefully you have plenty of noon kickoffs or more reasonably timed <laughs> ones going forward. And, and best of luck to to you and, and Boise State going forward uh, with with the the Mountain West, the run in right now, and uh, yeah. hopefully that hopefully you get to call some uh, some great games in the tournament this spring. I hope so. I hope it's a long stay. Indeed. Well, thank you so much for taking the time when you're uh, on the road in Colorado Springs to join us. And uh, I hope that fans uh, enjoy uh, listening to to you talk. And uh, I'll be tuning in for sure on Tuesday. For folks out there, remember to join the collective follow online to uh stay informed about events that are upcoming as the season begins to wind to a close with the a10 tournament coming up as well and of course other news will be addressed uh in due time but until next time i've been nathan Strauss saying so long hey it's matt cross from umass
0: basketball and i've got a slam dunk insurance recommendation for you i'm a massachusetts native myself and i know the importance of hometown loyalty and toughness When I need insurance as tough as me, I choose Amherst Insurance. They've had UMass basketballs back for decades and they'll have yours too, trust me. Amherst Insurance isn't just an insurance agency, they're a part of our community, deeply rooted in Massachusetts values. They understand the hustle, the spirit, and the pride that defines us here. So if you're looking for a hometown insurance agent who's got the same drive and determination as me, it's Amherst Insurance all the way. And remember, When you make that call or visit TheNathanAgencies.com, tell them Matt Cross sent you.
1: UMass fans, Josh Coney, the latest addition to the UMass basketball family. The energy here is unreal. And let's not forget, UMass football season is revving up and I'm all in. Now listen up, moving can be a hassle, but five college movers made my transition seamless. Mention my name, Josh, and you'll not only score exclusive pricing but tickets to a UMass basketball game of your choosing, courtesy of five college movers. So UMass fans let's rally for football get ready for basketball and when it's time to move stress-free team up with five college movers go UMass